Morning, Valley Vital Church. How are we? You may be seated. Go ahead and take your seat. We're going to stand up in just a moment again for the reading of God's Word, but uh, take a seat for a moment here. Good to see you all this morning on this uh, uh, Reformation weekend, is it not? Yes, we are celebrating the fact that we are Protestants. We protested and we now have recaptured the faith and uh, we we celebrate that this weekend along with Harvest and all the things that uh, come this time of the year. Um, as we have been singing, we have a great God who is uh, reigning and ruling, but it doesn't seem like it now, right now, does it? Uh, we look around the world in which we live and our nation and its state. And uh, this morning, we're going to talk about that, taking some principles from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that we've been discussing and looking this morning at the dystopian distortion of God's creation. The dystopian distortion of God's creation. You, you know the genre of um, novels and movies and TV series of uh, a dystopia. And a dystopia are these movies where um, society is in great distress. Usually it's some a post-apocalyptic society. Um, and oftentimes you'll see an iconic uh, description of something that we see in our society that will demonstrate that things have changed, like the Statue of Liberty is in the, in, in the water, the Golden Gate Bridge is broken. And when you see those opening scenes, you know that uh, you're going into the future, into a, a society and a culture where there's great suffering and there's great chaos and injustice. And so we kind of like those movies because they look forward to some something that happens, uh, to hopefully to change things, but the changes for the for the bad. The reality is we live in dystopia, right now. Paradise has been lost. The creation that God made was a utopia, if you will, not in the sense in which men mean it, but it was paradise itself. And because of the fall of man. Things have changed dramatically. And we're going to tie up some loose ends this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But we also want to take the opportunity, because of the principles that we've found and we've been talking about in 1 Corinthians 11, about God created mankind in his image. And he created them male and female. And he gave them purpose. And he made them distinct. And those things occurred before the very fall of man. But those principles apply to a lot of contemporary issues that we face today. And so we want to take those, those, uh, um, those principles because uh, our creation, God's creation, has been distorted. Um, there is distortion of sexuality. There is distortion of genders. In these things, we see this every single day in our society and the principles of 1 Corinthians 11 apply directly. What does God say about these things? So, without any further ado, I want you to, to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Genesis. I know you just sat down. Instead of reading back in um, 1 Corinthians, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to read in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. So the word of God is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And I ask you to stand as we read from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, 
verses 26 through 28, the word of God. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God's people said, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. The first thing we're going to see is the, the distortion of male and female. We've been talking about that in 1 Corinthians, that God made man and woman. He made people in his own, own image. But the fall has brought the distortion of male and female. We see this in Genesis 3. So Genesis 1:26, we just read, says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. As we have seen the last couple of weeks, men and women are made differently, and they were made different, and they were made for a difference. That's what first, what, what Genesis 1 tells us. Men and women were made differently. They were made as men and women, male and female. They were made different. We saw them, uh, that God made the man out of the dust. That's in chapter 2, and the woman out of the rib of the man. And they were made for different purposes. Masculinity and femininity are not the same. They're different. And men and women are made differently, made different and made with a difference. And so last week we also quoted uh, a scholar by the name of Thistleton, and we put together these rewording some of his points. Gender differences should never be a distraction. Gender equality does not mean sameness. And gender equality does not mean interchangeability. That's where we left off last week, this interchangeability idea. And we're, that's where we're going to go this morning. We want to build a case. Basically, we're going to be talking later on about the whole subject of transgenderism, interchangeability. But we want to tie up just a, a couple of loose ends in 1 Corinthians 11. Everybody's asking the question, so what are we supposed to do with 1 Corinthians 11? What, what's, the, what's the point? One of the life group questions this last week was this. What is a current cultural equivalent to the act of covering or uncovering one's head while participating in worship? Your groups probably discussed that. And the answer is, we really don't have one. We don't really have a cultural equivalent to covering our heads. That's what makes 1 Corinthians 11 so hard. But we have to look at the biblical principles that do not change. Those principles that are found that God made male and female. He made them in his image. They are distinct, distinct roles. Those principles are lasting, but traditions come and go. Tradition and practice are not binding. In 1 Corinthians 11, there is no command, there is no imperative, there is no thus saith the Lord. There are two oughts in that passage. A man ought to 
not have his head covered. The woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Ought is not a command. Basically, he's saying the, sim- the symbol of, of, uh, for, the, for the women of authority was for them to wear head coverings because that was the tradition. That was part of their culture. But we don't have that in our culture. Therefore, since we don't have the tradition, we ought not to follow that tradition. You can if you want to, ladies. If that is your conviction, then fine. But we are not going to say to you, you ought to do this because it was based upon a tradition. What we have seen and tried to, to, to make very, very clear to you is the most important thing that 1 Corinthians 11 says to us is that God created men and women and he made them different and he made them with a purpose, masculinity, femininity, male and female, and we work in the church this way. That was why they had the tradition that they had. Be what God made you to be. Men, be loving and sacrificial leaders in your marriage and your family. Women are to be submissive and supportive and respective to their husbands. So if you want to know what do I do about this, if you need to do something about that, then do it, men. If you need to lead better, if you need to love better, if you need to cherish better, then do that. Women, if you need to support your husband more and respect him more or submit to him. But genders, these distinctions are never to be blurred. And that's what was happening in the church in Corinth. And that is what is happening today. Gender distinctions are being blurred. So Genesis 1:26 again, put it up on the screen. God said, let us make man in our image. Notice the hour. This is God speaking. This is not proof of the Trinity, but it does show you that God is speaking in such a sense that there is this idea of plurality in the Godhead. We know the Trinity to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we see the, the beginnings of that from the very first chapter of the Bible. Let us make man in our image According to our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and the cattle and the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, God created man in his own image, mankind. In the image of God, he created mankind, male and female, male and female. So all people bear the image of God. We need to understand that right off the bat. All people bear the image of God. We need to make sure that when we look at the world in which we live and we look around us, when we see people that are lost, we need to recognize that they are made in God's image. There is something about them that God has stamped upon them and within them that he has made that is distinct to human beings that the animals do not have. And all people have a special place in his creation. But secondly... Male and female together portray the unity and the diversity of the triune God. Men and women together do this. A man alone, man alone does not, woman alone does not, but we together as humanity made up, comprised of male and female, we demonstrate and portray that diversity of God and the unity of God. The unity, the diversity, and the equality. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all equal. God made male and female to be equal. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are diverse. God made male and female to be diverse. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are united. Husbands and wives are united. So we reflect that image of God. Then he says in verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He said to mankind, have dominion over all the earth. Do we have dominion over all the earth? No. We are to reclaim that, but we don't. Why do we not? Because of the fall of man, because sin entered into the world. The starting point, though, is here. We have to remember the starting point is God's ideal, the way he made this earth and the way he made human beings and the way he made things are supposed to work. But then we had the fall. Sin entered into the world, and we're not going to get into chapter 3. But that was the reason there were problems in Corinth. God's ideal was male and female. The fall meant there was gender distortion in, in Corinth. Adam didn't fulfill his role. He was supposed to lead his wife. He was supposed to protect her, and he did not. And so because of that, the image of God was defaced amongst all of us. It's not destroyed, but every aberration of culture, every aberration of humanity is because of sin in the world. And you see it immediately in the book of Genesis. You immediately had the first murder. You had the first idolatry. You had the first adultery. You had the first polygamy. That's why there's polygamy in the Bible. It's God, you know, the Bible uh, is just demonstrated. This is what people did. This was wrong. But God's ideal was always one man, one woman for life. And so throughout the Old Testament biblical narrative, we see two themes that run all the way, Old Testament and New Testament. We see the depravity of man and we see the grace of God. You see that through all of the scriptures, man's depravity and God's grace that he would continue to accept Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Solomon, all those people who really messed up because he was gracious. He has left us with this ideal to look at and the changeless principles of maleness and femaleness that come from the book of Genesis before the fall came. By the way, this is this is all worldview stuff. Our, your kids uh, are learning this stuff in Sunday school. I was in one of the classrooms and saw uh, this chart on the ro- on the wall that said uh, creation, corruption, confusion, catastrophe, Christ, and consummation. That's it. That's the world. That is what we should carry with us at all times, that we understand God's creation. We understand the corruption of sin. We understand the confusion of the Tower of Babel. We understand the catastrophe of the flood. We understand that Christ came to fix it all, and we understand the consummation that he will. And that is the way we are to live our lives. But we live with the fall, and the fall distorts masculinity. It does. We hear a lot about toxic masculinity. And yes, men are sometimes angry and sometimes controlling. Sometimes they're immoral. Sometimes they're cruel. Sometimes they're overbearing. Sometimes they're violent. Sometimes they're abusive. 
But that's a caricature and a distortion of what God has made man to be. What we are to be, men, are men of strength and men of godliness and men of godly character, Christ-like. And the, the opposite of, of uh, toxic masculinity that is happening today is the feminization of men. That men become effeminate. You, you know what that means. I don't even have to explain it to you. We know it from nature. You, you've probably met someone and, and you and your, your spouse say, oh, that guy's kind of effeminate. Because we know what that means. He seems like a woman. He has the characteristics and the mannerisms. We know this from nature, that those roles are being blurred. And so to become an effeminate means for a man, a man to become like a woman. And these things ought not to be. What are you to be, man? Oh, Christian man, you are to be like Christ, the ultimate man. He was not namby-pamby. He was not effeminate. He was strong and he was masculine. We are called to be godly. And so husbands and fathers have those distinctive roles. But we also see that the, that the fall distorts femininity, both sides. This idea that women are subservient. The idea that women are inferior, they need to be barefoot and pregnant, they need to be chained to the kitchen, they, they are sex objects. All of these are distortions from the fall, and that is not how God made women. They are to bring honor and glory to Christ in their femininity. And so we have the attempt in our society to masculinize women, that women become like men. Christian women are to become more like God. Christian women are to grow into his image, to be godly, and to fulfill their role of femininity as a woman. And women do distinct things that men cannot do. But then we also have our next major idea this morning, is the distortion of human sexuality. And that's where we're headed with this. There's the distinction of roles. But we see these, these principles. They are found throughout the scriptures to, 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 to tell us how human sexuality is supposed to be. The creational differences of male and female in, this, in the passage of 1 Corinthians shows us how, um, how human sexuality is supposed to work. So the fall of man has distorted God's design for intimacy. The fall has distorted God's man. What did, what did it say in Genesis, Genesis 1? Be fruitful and multiply. God meant for physical intimacy, sexual intimacy for human beings, male and female, to love each other and produce children and to enjoy that as well. But the fall has distorted that into all manner of things. That's why the Bible speaks to to adultery. That's why the Bible speaks to immorality. That's why the Bible speaks to homosexuality. But what we see and we need to understand are two things. Sexual identity is not one's identity. All are made in God's image, male or female. That's our identity. Today we have the everyone's identity. I'm a gay Christian or I'm a transgender Christian or I'm gay or... That is not a person's identity. They may take that on, but that is not the identity that God has given human beings. And we as Christians must reclaim this idea of those who are made in the image of God and help people to understand that because one's worth is based upon God making them and creating them 
not their sexual practice. God created people in his image, and there are only two sexes, and those two sexes portray God's image. They're aberrations due to the fall, but that's not God's design. Your identity is that of a human being and as a Christian made in the image of God. I'm reading a book right now about a woman who uh, for, uh, for some time was transitioning to become a man. And it was all about her identity being all messed up. Even though she grew up in a church, she never heard the gospel truths that God made her in his image. And he made her to be a woman. And he made her to be redeemed. And he made her to live that out properly. And she got it all messed up. And she got listening to the world and started down this road road to transitioning until she became a Christian. And that is the answer to all this. We'll get there in a moment. So we are here where we ended last, last week. Gender equality does not mean gender interchangeability. That is transgenderism. God created the, the, the sexes equal. He created them male and female, but he created them different. He created them differently for a different purpose. But since they are equal, that doesn't mean one can be one and one can be the other. That is not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach that you are born male or female, and that is all there is. Never mind that the suicide rate amongst transgender individuals and those with gender dysphoria is extremely high. Never mind the fact that 80% of young people who question their sexual identity resolve it by age 21. Never mind that Maryland's largest public school district just saw a 582% increase in the number of students identifying as gender non-conforming in two years. How does that happen? How does that happen? Is this, is this a matter of evolution? We've just evolved there? I don't think so. It is a social contagion. And those who are proponents of transgenderism, they work very hard to suppress these ideas. For instance, uh, Lisa Littman at Brown University did a study two years ago. It's it's already been pulled by Brown University because it wasn't affirming. But she identified this whole movement as a social contagion. And this is what she said. And listen carefully, parents. She said, parents have described clusters of gender dysphoria outbreaks occurring in pre-existing friend groups with multiple or even all members of a friend group becoming gender dysphoric or transgender identified in a pattern that seems statistically unlikely based on previous research. Parents describe a process of immersion into social media, such as binge-watching YouTube transition videos and excessive use of Tumblr, immediately preceding their child becoming gender dysphoric. When you gorge yourself on falsehood, you are going to get falsehood. Parents, be careful of what your children are watching on YouTube. You need to pay very, very close. And your grandkids too, grandmas and grandpas. Pay very close attention because those, those videos are out there and they're changing people's young minds. 
So their answer, of course, those who are the proponents of transgenderism, is that when a 12-year-old girl is confused about her sexual identity, we affirm that. And we, per, we affirm and provide life-saving treatments that are irreversible. Puberty, block, puberty blocker, blockers, mastectomies amongst minors, hysterectomies. And then the last step is unspeakable. I'm not even going to go to what that is. Nature tells us that this is wrong. This, the reason I'm addressing this is this is a juggernaut in our society. Don't you see that? Everywhere you turn, it is everywhere. I have never seen anything like it. I, you know, early on when the gay movement started, yeah, you could see that, and it was just little by little by little, and then same-sex marriage was legalized, and little by little and little by little. But this, this is amazing. This is, this is an ideology. It is an ideology that has been adopted by all of the news media, adopted by academia. It has been adopted by the medical world. It has been adopted by big business. It has certainly been adopted by Hollywood, films and music and TV shows. Think about a 10-year-old girl who watches TV or streams videos in 10 years, all of the shows and advertisements that she sees are going to continually portray a man married to a man, a woman married to a woman, and then there's this person, I don't know who it is, what it is. We see it all the time. Wait, what was that in a commercial? It goes so very quickly, but it is, it is changing the minds of our children and us as well. Scholar and pastor uh, Kevin DeYoung put it this way. He said, we are being bullied. The church is being bullied. People are being bullied into adopting a point of view, bullied into adopting a morality, bullied into using terminology and language. We are bullied into accepting things the Bible does not, and we are bullied into accepting whole new definitions of words like man and woman. And this puts pressure on people. Those of you who are in the medical community, you know what I'm talking about. Those of you who are in the workplace and you're seeing this in the workplace, you know what I'm talking about. Families, we have families, plural, in our congregation that are dealing with this situation right now and homosexuality and how it's tearing families apart. Because those who have been captured by the LBTQ plus agenda, they want mom and dad and grandma and grandpa to accept them just the way they are and affirm that. What do you do? How do we do this? This puts pressure on us because it is an ideological movement. There could be persecution for all of us. First Peter 3 says this, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. This has been my hobby horse 
verse over the years, some of you heard me say this, that, that this is a, a passage that is always used for friendship evangelism. Just be a good Joe in the workplace, be a nice person, and people are going to come up to you and say, why are you so happy all the time? That's not what this is saying. This is saying when you are persecuted for Jesus Christ and people see your holy, righteous reaction, then they ask the question, what is it? And we must be ready to sanctify Christ and to answer with gentleness and respect for other people. That is key. We must tell the truth at all costs. We must sanctify Christ in our life. I was talking to a man in our church who called me two weeks ago and said he works for a, a corporation. If I said the name of it or showed the local you would logo, you would recognize it immediately. And he said, um, I had to take my annual training. And for the very first year, they've, um, they've included questions about homosexuality and questions about transgenderism and bathrooms. And he said all the questions were multiple choice. No way to clarify his answers. And he said it was obvious as he answered the questions, there's an answer that they're looking for. And if he does not pass this, he loses his license. That's not an isolated idea. Some of you may be facing the same thing. An article I read a couple weeks ago said that due to um, um, sex reassignment surgery amongst minors, you know, in 10 years it said we're going to have a mental health emergency. No, we have a mental health emergency today. We have a spiritual emergency in our nation. And we are the ones with the truth. Children who are confused, and that happens but they're being preyed upon by those who have an ideology who want to push that child toward an outcome. And this is coming from the top as well. Our government and the military, Pentagon, in every, every area of government, this is the law. This is how you are to act. Our president, you may have seen, granted an interview a couple weeks ago with a man who was parading as a 15-year-old girl. It is, when you see this man, it is so degrading to women. I would, if I were a woman, I would be totally offended at this man's stealing and, and showing this clownish caricature of what a woman is supposed to be. But since our government is one of the biggest proponents of these ideologies that run counter to God's truth, there is something practically that we can do. Be involved in your community. Be involved in our community. Our mission statement is as we proclaim biblical truth, and we will do that, and it's getting more and more imperative that we do, as we proclaim biblical truth, we cultivate relationships that are intimate with Christ as discipleship, active in the church, that's service, and loving the community. Do you love the community? We should love our community. And so we can't just sit here on Sunday mornings and talk about how bad things are out there and rail against it and build up walls around Valley Bible Church. We need to be in our community and love our community. Jeremiah 29.7 says this, 
Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will have welfare. The captives, the Israelite captives, where were they? They were in Babylon. Not a friendly place. And God's word through Jeremiah was pray for the city of Babylon because as Babylon prospers, you will prosper as well. Do you know where we live? Babylon. We live in Babylon. 1 Timothy 2 says this, First of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all dignity and godliness. We are to pray for our leaders. Never underestimate the power of prayer. Then in verse 8, Paul said, Therefore, I want the men to pray in every place, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Where did we ever get this idea that prayer was for women and children? That prayer meetings were just for the ladies? That going to church and spiritual leadership was for women instead of men? Men should be out in the forefront of prayer and never discount the role of prayer. But we must do what we must do. We must pray, but we must do other things as well. Um... I do not understand, I keep seeing this statistic, that only 50% of Christians vote. I don't understand why that is. We are to be salt and light. And you have an opportunity to, to take part in our community by voting. And uh, in our, in our um, bulletin, there are a couple of websites. There's WeBelieveWeVote.com, BiblicalVoter.com, where you can learn about the races, Read the party platforms, read the Republican platform, read the Democrat, Democratic pl- platform, and see which one follows your values, and then choose candidates based on those things. But take part. We must take part, or we will lose it all. We're to be salt and light. That means salt is, is we're preservatives, but we're also light in our communities. Know your neighbors. Do you know your neighbors? Do you know their names? Do you pray for them? I, I see my neighborhood, and there, I won't tell you what, uh, how I do it, but there's a portion of many, many blocks in my neighborhood. I see that as my parish, not as a parish pastor, but just as a guy who cares about people. And I talk to people, not as, they're not my project. I just want to do that. I like doing it. I just like talking to people. I like hearing about their lives. And I, I like looking for opportunities to tell them about Jesus Christ and say, hey, how can I pray for you? Not as a project, again, because I want to be salt and light. But be involved in the community. I know that uh, last week or the week before, uh, CVSD had a, um, a school board meeting. They're choosing um, the, the next sexual health curricula. And we had a number of our families there. Yay, we need more. But how about becoming a school board member? Oh, person of Valley Bible Church, we have people that are qualified to be school board members. How about running for city council? Some of you could do that. Running for mayor, you have the ability. County commissioner, state representative, 
U.S. Congress, U.S. Senate. We have this idea sometimes as, as Christians that we just need to choose the lesser of two evils. And uh, how do those people get on the ballot anyway? Same way you would. We're all capable. Many of you are capable of doing that. So why not do that? Why not do that? But we have to be involved in our community. The last thing that we see is this, the source and the solution, which is the source of the distortion is sin, and the solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all that it comes down to. The source of this distortion, all that we see is sin, and the solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It seems simple, and in some ways it is, but it is powerful. We must continually remind ourselves of sin and the gospel, sin and the gospel, because it controls everything. We're not going to usher in the kingdom of God. We are premillennialists, and we will preach the gospel until Christ returns and sets up his kingdom. In the meantime, what does God say? And that is the only thing that matters to us now is what he says. He has said that he has made man in his image, male and female. There are just two. God created only two sexes and every person is one or the other. Deuteronomy 22.5 says, A woman shall not wear man's clothing. Nor shall a man put on woman's clothing, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. He's not talking about women wearing jeans today. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about an aberration of sexuality. He's talking about the brokenness of the fall. He's talking about how human sexuality was designed to be wonderful and good, men and women different. And even back then, they had people who were cross-dressing. And the scriptures tell us that it is wrong. It is impossible for a man to ever become a woman. It is impossible for a woman to ever become a man. For every person in this room, every cell of your body screams either XX or XY. It cannot be changed, male or female. We have one of our two beloved collies left, but years ago we got these two beautiful collies of pups. We had one spayed and we had one neutered. Guess what? They were still male and female. They did not become some, some kind of intersex dog. They, nature tells us this, does it not? And the only recourse for today is to just redefine things. What has God said? That is the lie in the garden did God really say this about men and women? Did God really say that there are two sexes? Did God really make you for his glory? Did God really make you? Yes. So some final things. We must recognize the power of sin. Sin enslaves people. John 8, 34 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin, and people in the world who are caught up in this are slaves to sin. And such were some of you. We have to be compassionate on them. They don't know any better. They're culpable. They'll be held responsible, yes. But we must be compassionate and loving toward people who are caught up in all manner of sexual deviancy. We have to care for people. They are not our enemy. 
Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers and the spiritual forces of this dark world. We're not to become, therefore, the, the Christian idea of Antifa. Angry, burn it down, taking up arms. That's not our method of warfare. We must be winsome and loving and kind. And we want to set people free from captivity to sin. And we have the power to do that. Second of all, we must be welcoming, but not affirming. Sinners are always welcome at Valley Bible Church. And sinners should be welcome in your home. Because we welcome people and we give them hope. And the hope that we offer is grounded in truth. We speak the truth in love and we tell them the truth about themselves instead of, oh, honey, it's okay, go be the girl. That's not truth. We cannot affirm what is false because we would be calling God a liar when we do that. We have to therefore guard the flock. Husbands, you need to shepherd your families. You need to protect your own sexual purity, the sexual purity of your wife, the sexual purity of your children. You must be the gatekeepers of all that rubbish that is coming into our lives through media. It is your responsibility. Starts with the men, with the help of their wives. We do this together. So we must recognize the power of the gospel. We must be welcoming but not affirming. And we must also recognize the power of the gospel. Do we believe this stuff? Do we believe what we talk about every week when we come in here? Do we believe that this is true? The gospel is truth. We must always think consistently with our worldview because we're always being bombarded with the alternate. And so this seems very simple, sin and gospel, sin. Yes, but we must see everything through this lens and it takes effort to discipline our minds to think biblically about all of these issues. And finally, people can't transition, but they can be transformed. That is the hope of the gospel. People cannot literally transition into another sect. It cannot be. God has not made it that way. But they can be transformed. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. The irony of those who want to transition say that they can't change because they were born that way, but then they want to transform into something that they cannot be. You see the irony? But they can be something that they are not. Romans 12:2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We can be transformed into the image of Christ by the gospel, by the word of God, by his Holy Spirit and others too. And we have that power through Christ to help people to that end. Some of you probably saw the... Um, video that was going around a couple weeks ago at a United Methodist Church where a pastor had his had the kids from the congregation come up. And luckily, it's a dying church, and there were just a couple of kids, but he's in his vestments, and he has the drag queen standing next to him, laughing and joking about the drag, you know, with kids right there, 
And his message to the kids was, we have a God who allows us to be transformed into anything that we want. And he took Romans 12:2 and he turned it on its head. You know what Jesus said about that? For those who lead little ones astray, better that a millstone be hung around their neck, thrown into the sea. Serious business. Last week, Tara and I and Linda and Caleb had breakfast with a man who had been saved out of a homosexual lifestyle. And he's just making the point, people can really change. People really come out of this. People can really become like Jesus Christ. And I, he told this amazing story of his depravity in his life before and how the gospel was proclaimed to him over and over again. And finally, once he, he gave in to Christ, this is the way he put it, that, that his life was changed. He said, when I believed in Christ and when I recovered my masculinity. He recognized that his identity in Christ was that of a man made in God's image for, for manly purposes. And he reclaimed that through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So yes, people can change. They're not lost people that we hate out there. We should never hate people. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. God makes no mistakes. None. We need to always help people know They are made in the image of God, and that is a good thing. We must be compassionate and loving, but resolute, because sin is sin, and we are sinners as well, and we are no better than they. When our Christian sensibilities are provoked, and when we see these things, we should be shocked, but we should not be shocked, because depravity in the Bible says it's going to happen, and it's consistent with our theology, but we have the wonderful answer in Jesus Christ. So, in conclusion, our God reigns. Our God reigns. And I threw up there what I saw in the children's classroom. This is our worldview, creation. God made everything perfect, male and female. He created them. There was corruption because of sin. It confused the world. There was catastrophe in the flood because it got so bad And it continues to get bad. But then we have Christ. He is the the apex of all of human history. And one day will be the consummation of all things. And that is what the Lord's table demonstrates to us. The whole story of our biblical worldview, the whole story of the creation, of the corruption of sin, of the confusion of, of mankind trying to become man, of the catastrophe that God does destroy sin, of Christ who came to consummate all things once and for all, and we look forward to that day. So brothers and sisters, when we partake of the Lord's table this morning, we are saying that we are made in his image, male and female all, and together we bring glory to him. We have an opportunity and we have a responsibility to make a difference in our community by loving people and showing them the hope and the truth that there is in Christ. Because 
people are in despair. These people are caught in sin. And we have the answer to set them free. And this is our answer. If you know Christ, partake with me in the Lord's table and resolve to not sin, resolve to be a man of God, to be a woman of God, to represent Christ in your neighborhood, for us to represent Christ in our community and in our world. And we do this to the Lord's table. Thank you, Father God, for making us your children. Thank you for making us in your image. Even though that image was defaced and distorted, it was not destroyed. And you sent the second Adam, our Lord Jesus Christ, to set us free from sin and death. And so, Father God, we give to you ourselves this morning. We declare that our sins are forgiven, that Christ has come and died and was buried and was risen from the dead. And we proclaim this until he returns. And he will consummate the end of the ages with his glory and make all things right. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And Jesus said this, I do in remembrance of me. Would you stand, please? Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And God's people said, Father, we are grateful for your kindness to us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were dead in our transgressions and sins, but you made us alive together in Christ. By grace, we have been saved. May we share that hope with those with whom we come in contact this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go in his grace.